Hello, welcome to Primary Care Priest. This is our 16th episode. I'm Father Simeon. I've taken a break from recording this podcast for a while. I haven't forgotten about it. I've just been working on some other projects. Most of the time, I assume that my listening audience may have no religious background. You may be spiritual, but not religious. Although, I expect that some of you are Christian in some way. But recently, I made a video about an event that happened at a place called Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky. So, since this is a podcast about healing, for those of you who are in healthcare, or at least those of you who care about the healing of the soul, as you do the healing of the body, I want to present the audio of a video that I released. Hello, my name is Father Simeon. I am an Eastern Orthodox Presbyter here in Houston. I am a spiritual advisor for our Orthodox Christian College Ministry, and I serve as a school chaplain and a college instructor. And I'm also a graduate of Asbury Theological Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky. So I wanted to make this video to talk a little bit about an Orthodox priest's perspective on the Asbury Revival. So I went to school right across the street from Asbury University, where the graduate seminary is. And I also grew up in a denomination that was rooted in the same Wesleyan holiness movement. So I grew up with this kind of revivalistic expectation. We always wanted to have revivals, schedule revivals to see if we could have an experience, right? Because really the Wesleyan holiness movement is about the work of God in our lives, and it is about pursuing holiness. That's really what it is focused on. So I wasn't at the Asbury Revival. I live in Houston, Texas, and I'm an Orthodox priest, so I didn't go there. Uh, I don't know much of what happened there, and I can't really judge what happened there. I know people ask questions. What is God doing is this really spiritual delusion of the devil? How much of this is emotionalism or psychological expectation? Or is this something underhanded going on there? Should we be worried about some kind of conspiracy? God knows what happened there. And what I know is what I've heard from people who I know and people who I trust including former classmates. So what I can say is that to me, it seems that a few things are happening. One is young adults are seeking the experience of God and they're seeking a change in their lives in a positive sort of way. And also young adults have been engaged in confessing their sins, presumably because they, they sincerely want to repent. They want to take off the backpack of rocks and have a lighter load and to walk toward Christ more perfectly and to have a deeper sense of personal faith. That seems to be the sincere intention. I'm sure you will find people that visited Asbury or even students that maybe had other agendas, but that seems to be what is sincerely going on here. In my experience in the Wesleyan Holiness Movement, my experience is that people are sincere when they're seeking this out. 
Now, I ended my journey in the Orthodox Church. And when I say ended my journey, it's the beginning of a journey. But that's where I ended up from a long, twisty road. And today I'm a priest within the biblical church of Antioch of Syria. And this is the very same church that is mentioned in the Acts of the Apostles in the New Testament. It's where the disciples of Jesus were first called Christians. It's from Antioch that the Apostle Paul launched his missionary journeys, which are described in the Acts of the Apostles. It is a place that is co-founded by the Apostles Peter and Paul, and the church has been there as a local church since about a year after Pentecost. So we've been around a long time, and our headquarters has actually been in Damascus, where the Apostle Paul saw Christ for a long time. And I've served as a priest in the United States, in our North American community for a long time. I became Orthodox through the Antiochian community here. And uh, the people that I have served, it includes people like me who came from being some other kind of Christian, especially uh, evangelical. But I've also served people who are from the East, from Syria, from Lebanon, from the Holy Land. So the question about the Asbury revival for me as an Orthodox priest who now lives and teaches this ancient Christian way that is still lived in Jerusalem and Antioch and Thessalonica and other places is what now? Let's say you've had some experience or you desire some experience, right? You want spiritual depth and spiritual renewal. You maybe have been part of the Asbury Revival or you want to be part of an extension of that. Maybe you've taken the first steps in repentance. Maybe you've tried to begin uh, worshiping uh, and praying that this will happen, but you've taken some step to change your life or to try to open yourself to the work of the Holy Spirit, or maybe you're willing to, but you're just waiting for some kind of experience, right? the kind of experience uh, that would give you an indication something's happening. So maybe you'd like to see this type of revival spread, maybe to where you are, or maybe throughout the United States, hoping that we will see some sort of seismic spiritual shift. But having that desire or taking those first steps, those are great, but where do you go from there? And that's a little bit about what I want to talk about. But first, you have to understand a few things about ancient Christianity. The ancient Christian life is not focused on the rational mind and on rational knowledge. It is focused on the heart. And I've heard before, before I became Orthodox, about head knowledge and heart knowledge. And that's a real thing for those of us who follow the ancient Christian thing. Heart knowledge, it doesn't mean something that's emotional. It doesn't mean something that's rational. In the Western world, we talk about the heart as emotion. But this is something different. This is about the center of the human person, the spiritual intellect that is different from the rational intellect. So theology for us is not philosophy. 
if you study systematic theology in the West, it's basically religious philosophy about God. And for us, theology is the experience of God, having an experience of grace. And also, we live the spiritual life individually, of course, but we experience spirituality also together. Now, there's a togetherness you find in a revival, right? People come together. It's sort of like going to a concert and you're a super fan, whoever you're listening to. There's this sense of togetherness, right? But there's something deeper than that. There's there's a deeper spiritual fellowship that is available. But just remember that it's not just Jesus and me. There is a sense that it is our Lord and us together. And that's very important in the spiritual life, especially when you're a young adult, to have people around you that are living a common life on the same trajectory, right? And that is what we aspire to in the Orthodox Church. We have a time of year that's sort of this intensive spiritual therapy for spiritual renewal that we do together, and it's called the Great Fast. Now, I know when, when some people talk about theology and spirituality in terms of therapy and healing, it seems that they don't have very deep theology, and they're kind of talking about therapy on a psychological level or on an emotional level, and I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about real change in our souls. This is the experience of grace that I'm talking about, and it's not a spontaneous revival. It's something we do every year called the Great Fast or called Lent. Now, you may have some familiarity with Lent as practiced by later Western developments, like after the Great Schism in Roman Catholicism or after the Reformation in Protestantism. What I'm talking about is a bit different. Uh, the previous weeks, we prepared for this Great Fast, prepared for Lent. And we were reminded of the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee. That story is reminding us that each of us, we need to see our own sins with a radical self-honesty, to see ourselves with a radical self-honesty, not the way we want people to see us on social media, like with the great pictures, but we need to see ourselves like we just got out of bed in the morning, like really honestly, and not judge other people, but focus on ourselves. God will deal with other people. We have to deal with ourselves, right? And we also recall the story of the prodigal son. And that reminds us that sin separates us from the one who loves us the most, and we end up in a bad place. But however low we go, we can wake up and we can change and we can go back home. That's repentance is that not feeling sorry for yourself right? But, but changing. And we go back to the Father. And in fact, in the Orthodox Church, I would say the primary image of who God is, is a loving Father. After we talk about God as loving Father, we talk about the judgment. And, and that last judgment reminds us to live a life that is in harmony with Christ and how Christ would have us live, and to avoid everything that is in disharmony with Christ and the real authentic spiritual life. But if we don't have to worry, if we don't want to worry about the judgment, then we need to live a life as good children of the father, right? To reflect who the father is. And that is 
one who loves, one who desires the salvation of all, one who is forgiving, right? So we have these weeks of preparing for the great fast. And then last night, Sunday, February 26, 2023, I participated in the service that begins the great fast for us. It's a beautiful service called Forgiveness Vespers. After singing and reading our prayers, most of our prayers are actually sung. The people in the church, beginning with the priests, ask everyone else's forgiveness. A long line of people. Each person going to everyone else present, asking forgiveness, saying, forgive me a sinner. And a response that God forgives, which implies our own ability and willingness to forgive. This is about restoring relationships. It's great if you ever have uh, someone in the community that some friction has developed. You, you need to just put that in the past. You need to let it go, right? If we don't forgive, then it's like having this chain around our own neck because we're the ones who can't let go. And it's not minimizing the badness of someone else, of what they've done to us, but it's just cutting the chain. It's, and it is it is really moving on. If we want God to forgive us, as we say in the Lord's Prayer, we forgive other people. And uh, our sin affects other people, just as the sin of our first ancestors, Adam and Eve, affects us. Our sin affects other people, maybe even people we don't know, several degrees from us in ways that we don't even know. So we live this life asking forgiveness of God, but part of it is uh, in a community forgiving each other and be, being an image of who God wants us to be. And again, this wasn't a spontaneous event. Like we know this is coming every year, way in advance, but it is this way of entering into a season of repentance with the hopes that we become better, more Christ-like by his grace this year so that we can keep those good habits. We can get rid of those bad habits. We can keep those good habits. So the next year, hopefully we'll dive even deeper. Right? This isn't just seasonal as far as benefit. We want to keep this in our spiritual lives. And this is sort of equivalent to the very ancient Western tradition of, of Ash Wednesday. In the Eastern way of doing things, we don't apply ashes, but it's remembering the effect of Adam and Eve's sin, remembering that we are dust, remembering the effects of death, not only death in our bodies, but death in our souls, and remembering the one who came to destroy death and the power of the devil. So during this period, we don't just get on our knees. Uh, we make full prostrations. I mean, on our knees, hands on the ground, forehead on the ground before God. We recognize our sin. Um, we recognize who God is. And the hymns and the readings of our services, they draw us toward Christ and draw out our repentance. And uh, these services draw from Holy Scripture, of course, and uh, from the other sources within the church in, in a life that has been lived for 2,000 years. And it's part of this being cleansed and being being healed and all of us turning our hearts toward our savior who is our healer so 
it's really sort of like this intense spiritual therapy to help us soften our hearts. God always does his part, right? Uh, we have to soften our hearts and increase our prayers so that we can experience God more fully. And our services are longer this time of year. It really draws out that repentance. And our, if our mind wanders, we just bring it back, right? We, we learn uh, disciplines and not it's not self-effort. God is helping us. But we learn these disciplines of trying to be watchful, to be attentive more to our spiritual lives and less distracted by the things going on around us. And we want to dive into the richness of the faith that has been once for all delivered to the saints, this life in the spirit and not only for our salvation but for the salvation of other people around us one of the prayers that we say during this time of year summarizes really what this season of repentance is about and it's a prayer of saint Ephraim the syrian O lord and master of my life take from me the spirit of sloth meddling lust of power and idle talk and then we make a prostration. But give rather the spirit of chastity, humility, patience, and love to me, thy servant. And we make a prostration. Yes, O Lord and King, grant me to see my own sins and not to judge my brother. For thou art blessed unto ages of ages. Amen. We make a prostration. We sin with our bodies, even in just how we speak, right, with our tongues, so we bring the body into this process of repentance. We are embodied, body and soul. The fullness of our salvation is with a resurrected body that is immortal, that death can no longer touch. God created the universe as good, right? Uh, we anoint with oil because we know that grace can come through this oil. So uh, the spiritual life is not a non-physical life, right? The spirit, uh, the invisible and the visible are, are infused together. So our bodies, just as when we fast, it's called the great fast. When we fast, which means for us that together we omit certain foods during uh, this period and we have a way of doing this. We just don't individually determine we're going to give up something, but it's something we do together. This, this fasting is is about uh, recognizing the deadness in our souls and our attachment to things and and helping us to focus and prostrations are very much part of that uh, as well. Not everybody prostrates. Some people will bow. I mean, there's individuality here, but uh, even with individual expression, it's something very much that we do together with this common ethos about what we're doing. So the Asbury revival was, of course, this spontaneous event. Uh, and the Great Fast is part of a calendar, uh, just just like Pascha, which means Passover in Greek. It's what we call Easter. That that's that's on a calendar, right? Every year, uh, but the Holy Spirit is in the church and guides the church as we live this calendar, right? Besides uh, this spontaneous event happened in Kentucky, but Surely other groups around the country are now trying to schedule revivals and uh, trying to uh, schedule things on a calendar, hoping that something uh, 
happens. So a schedule is fine, especially if you are following a calendar that is limbed by men and women through the ages who have been healed, who have been sanctified by grace across the centuries living this unchanging apostolic way of life. The liturgical services and, and the written prayers, which help us to think about sins and repent and remind us of God's love in a way that we wouldn't if we were not uh, reading them, uh, including the Psalms, by the way, the earliest prayer book of the church, and our common way of fasting and all these other things that we do, it provides an order uh, and a rhythm to our way of life. And again, it's spiritual therapy. So when you first encounter it, you may think of it as, as, oh, maybe this is formal or maybe it's rigid, but this is happening within the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it, it, it came into being through the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's a put your face on the ground through a prostration and not wave your hands in the air to guitar chords sort of spirituality, which may be unfamiliar, but it's like surgery. A surgery may be unfamiliar, but maybe that's what we what we need, right? Is something that is that is different, and it's the fulfillment of Old Testament worship in Jesus Christ, and it's a reflection of the worship we see both in the prophetic visions in the Old Testament, and it is participation in the heavenly worship we see the Book of Hebrews and in in the Book of Revelation, in which people are bowing down together and using incense and all of these things. So you're not going to see microphones and singers and worship leaders and instrumentalists facing you or even the priest facing you he'll be facing east in the same direction you are uh, leading the prayers but you will see images of our lord god and savior jesus christ and his mother in the flesh and his cousin in the flesh john the baptist and archangels and our spiritual ancestors including the martyrs who have lived through the centuries and have completed their life in faith. The Old Testament, the, the New Testament, 2,000 years of, of church history are all bound together in the present, where the life-giving Spirit can work and heal each of us right now. Grace is always fresh and renewing. So there's an ancientness, and there's always a newness. There's never never a um, archaicness or oldness in the sense of it not being um, always this wellspring of grace. So if I have advice uh, for Protestants who I think I would call evangelicals, I know the word evangelical has developed a different meaning that relates to politics. I don't mean that, but I mean in that sort of uh, original spirit of evangelicalism uh, for Protestants. What I would advise for those who want spiritual renewal and growth is try to experience what the church of the Bible is experiencing. Not, not a church that someone has tried to base on the Bible, but the church from which the New Testament came. The one that existed before Roman Catholicism and before Protestantism in the West. And Encounter this time-tested way of life that is here for our salvation, for our for our healing, for our transformation, so that we live 
the fullness of our our potential and our purpose in this life. We have 2,000 years of history since Pentecost, right? Since what was recorded in the Acts of the Apostles. For the church, although living this unchanging way of life, to grow. And we've seen the power of Jesus Christ in the lives of men and women who have lived this well-worn path of prayer and repentance. So join Jerusalem and Antioch here in the 21st century and see what we're doing. It's uh, not like an event with a praise band. It's very different. I came from that into this. And I tell you, it takes a while to acclimate yourself to a very different way. Uh, but you'll be in a place with others who are there to look within themselves, honestly, and to repent and seek the Lord. And it's difficult to express the depth uh, and the growth that we can experience through the great fast. And the more we put ourselves into it now and live it, the more when we come to the Eastern way that we in Antioch and Jerusalem and, and uh, here in the United States celebrate the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the more powerful that can seem to us, the more we invest in it now, right? We, we are there to focus on our sins and our repentance and always remember the incredible compassion and love of God that's always greater than any of our sins. It's a beautiful thing. And it leads us to this great and holy Pascha, which is the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we no longer kneel and prostrate, none of that during the Paschal season, we stand in the presence of the risen Lord. Everything has a season. And uh, the rhythm of the ancient church is there, is there for a reason, to give us uh, what we need with sobriety and with balance, right? So... Whether you've started your repentance or you want to, there is something far deeper than uh, an emotional experience, and there's something far deeper than rational insight, and there's something far more than just that, those beginning steps of, of confession and repentance, or at least the desire for repentance. And the question is, are you ready? are you ready to train yourself in the spiritual life or be trained in the spiritual life? Right to cultivate humility, to soften your heart so that God can work more deeply in you and to make you like Christ. Being like Christ is not just living virtuously. It's, it is far more than that, the transformation of grace. And you can learn more about that. Not just learn more about it because you're learning about the teaching of the ancient church, but you learn more about it as you experience these things. So... Uh, the path that I'm talking about within the ancient church, it requires perseverance and persistence and the breaking of self-will and the taking up of the cross. It's easier to go to an event and have you know an initial experience than it is to really keep diving. Right? This is not dip your toe in spirituality. This is jumping into spirituality. And if you're not ready, be honest about it. Right? But if you are ready, then take those steps that will make you flourish. It's a rocky path, and you're going to stumble, and you get back up, and you keep your eyes on the prize, right? The fullness of salvation in Jesus Christ. You are not alone in this. God is with you and the people around you. 
uh, are there walking that same path when you live this ancient life. As a former Wesleyan who followed that uh, trajectory, because it seems to me that if we follow the trajectory of Wesleyanism, it goes back to the original Christianity in the East. And I followed that trajectory. I'm a fellow uh, Asbarian and Orthodox priest, one of several Orthodox priests who have graduated from the university or the seminary. And I hope that this recent event at Asbury, uh, that it, it really has inspired men and women to seek God and to change in the right direction in a way that is lasting. But that depends on what each individual determines that they're going to do from now. If you live in Houston, I invite you to St. George, Antiochian Orthodox Church, my parish. I became Orthodox there myself a long time ago after this journey I'm talking about. Uh, contact me or contact the parish or contact, if you're at uh, the university here in Houston, our student representative, uh, someone will help you understand exactly what we do during these services and and what we are trying to accomplish and trying to remember uh, and uh, and trying to become as we live this ancient way of life of healing and renewal uh, and of transformation. So if you come to, to St. George, we're not far from Rice University, uh, be in the silence, hear the singing of the prayers and hymns. They're really supposed to lead us to dispassion. They're not supposed to move our emotions, but just be there to help us pray and to communicate and teach and just pray with an open heart and see what happens there. If you need help, remember that there are people who will help explain to you. It is different, but so is the kingdom of heaven. And what we do is a reflection of the heavenly kingdom that we can even experience now and experience in the future in fullness. God bless you, and I hope you have a blessed fast this year.